0: Announced my dislike for the uh, Lord of the Rings movies, and then for me to come up here and actually show a clip. Uh, might have agitated a few of you that uh, have heard me say that on prior occasions, but uh, I really liked in this clip the decision that's made by Frodo. I actually had to call and ask somebody how you spell Frodo because I'm not a big fan of the movies. Uh, but I called, and, and, and the, the thing I like is he steps up, he's heard. Uh, the one guy, the, the bad guy, what's his name? No, the, the guy that's mean in this, yeah, that guy, Mormir. He, 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 he basically lays it down and says, This is what you're facing. There is evil there that doesn't sleep. You know, not with 10,000. It's folly to go forward with this. And there's little Frodo. Steps up and says, I will do it, I will take the ring. And is a Gandalf? You can see in Gandalf's face, just in the expression that he had, he understands, he knows what this means for Frodo. The trials they're going to face. Death is going to be at their doorstep, each step of the journey. But yet, Frodo says, I will do it. I will take the ring. And he makes a bold and courageous decision to do that. We're continuing on in our series this week, uh, we're studying the book of Acts. It's so the church on fire, basically looking at how the church got started. And I don't know about you, I got pretty excited this week. I uh, went and looked at my, what I was going to be preaching on, and I just kind of thumbed the other way to the right. I'm like, we're like two pages from Romans. I mean, that's exciting stuff. We've been in Acts for about a year and a half, but uh, we're, we're coming to the, the end, the culmination here. We're going to look at Acts 25 verses 1 to 22. And we're continuing on looking at Paul. Now remember with me, Paul, if you go back all the way to Acts chapter 9, Paul was a convert, okay? He was Jewish, became a convert, followed Jesus Christ. He was confronted on the Damascus Road, and now he's a follower of Christ. And he's going around and starting churches all throughout Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. He's taken three journeys there. But in recent times, in recent weeks... It's been all prison and beatings. No freedom to do what he wanted to do. But by his grace, he's been continuing on. Last week, he was before Felix. He was at Jerusalem, then he went down to Caesarea, which was the political capital of this time, Caesarea. Appeared before Felix. What happened? Nothing. Felix leaves him in prison for two years. Two years. He leaves Paul just sitting there. Sometimes he brings them out to maybe get a, to try and get a bribe from them so that Felix would uh, release Paul, but it doesn't happen. He, Paul sits there for two years, and that's where we pick up the story. Festus comes on the scene. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. Now, Caesarea has come under new management. It was Felix, but now power has been transitioned to Festus. And the reason, I looked it up, the reason is that Felix, we, knew, we know from last week that he was pretty ruthless. And that's actually why he was removed from power by the emperor Nero. He was subduing a riot in Caesarea and he just went way overboard. And so he's removed from power. Festus comes in and he's kind of doing this, you know, cleaning, this uh, corporate cleaning, trying to figure out what's going on in his province. Here he comes across this guy, Paul. What's his story? Uh, well, he's been here for two years. Uh, why? Why? Uh, well, some Jews brought some charges against them. Okay, so what next? Uh, well, he's just been imprisoned. Okay, so Festus is going to finally deal with it. He's going to do some house cleaning. But he knows that he needs the religious leaders, the Jews. And so that he goes up from Caesarea to Jerusalem to, take, uh, to meet the leaders and figure out what's going on. And in Paul's situation... Same thing, people want to attack him, people want to kill him. The Jews of Jerusalem uh, are preparing an ambush for him. Let's continue on. Verse 6, after spending eight or ten days with them, that's Festus, spending eight or ten days with the, the leaders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. This is a similar defense that he made last week. I don't know if you remember, but Paul answers the charges one by one that these people bring against him. Serious charges. And he answers them. And in one short sentence, he does the same thing. I've done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews, so all you guys, you Jewish people that are here trying to bring accusations against me, I've done nothing wrong against you. He says I've done nothing wrong against the temple. So high priest, all you other chief priests, I've done nothing wrong against you. And then or against Caesar. So you political people, you as well. I've done nothing wrong against you. A simple defense saying I'm not a troublemaker, I'm not a ringleader, I don't desecrate the temple, I'm not who you say I am. Verse 9, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? So, what is all this favor stuff? What's going on here? Paul has made his defense. I'm not guilty. Prove these charges against me. And then Festus, looking, saying, wishing to do, he wants to do the Jews a favor. Ask this question to Paul. What is all this favor stuff? We've seen it a couple different times. Acts 24, verse 27. The previous administration under Felix. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. That's what the Jews wanted at that time, to leave him in prison. And Felix granted that favor. Acts 25, verse 3. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. And then this current example, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand before me there on these charges? What is all this favor stuff? Well, at this time, what Festus understands, what Felix understood, is that to have peace in the region, I need to have good relationship with these religious leaders. Because they can cause... Discord they can cause factions they can cause distress in my administration I just want peace and the easiest way to have that is to have a good relationship with the Jews and so these leaders were looking for opportunities to give these Jewish leaders favors to help them out so they would be helped out scratch my back and I'll scratch yours puts Paul in a tough spot as we see acts 25 verse 10 Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And so the Apostle Paul comes to a point where he has to make a decision. He's only got limited options here. The one is, go back to Jerusalem, face these charges that the Jews are making, but get, get this, Festus will come with. So that's one option. The option that's disintegrating before his eyes is the just to be clear to the charges right now and set me free. And the reason that is is because the Jewish leaders and Festus, the political leader, are have this relationship going and they don't want to put the other one out. And so that, that option is just kind of disintegrating. He's seeing before him this option just go away. And the other option, the third option, as a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal to Caesar to go to a higher court, to take his case somewhere else. And as we see, that's the choice he makes. And the thing I want to work through this morning is, why? Why did he make that decision? The decision, just like Frodo was facing, would bring with it trial, hardship, possible death. More suffering. He's already been through a load of suffering as we've seen. So, why do this? As I put in your insert, he's really got two choices death now, go back to Jerusalem, ambush along the way, death now, or death later. But with this death later comes certain suffering, certain trials as he's transferred to Rome. And what I'm going to argue is that in Paul's mind, in Paul's belief system, what he thinks is death now is better by far. Paul believes death now is better by far. Where do I get this? Philippians 1, chapters 21 through 26. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. This is later, a later letter. He's going to write this while he's in prison at Rome to another church. But this is his mindset. I think we get a great idea of his mindset. Paul writes, "For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain" And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through me being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. You hear it in those words. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And hopefully that should be our line, that we understand that to depart this from this earth and be with Christ is better by far, better than anything we could ever experience in here. To have our relationship with Christ be all we know, that that faith becomes sight and we see God and we live in his presence forever. So death now, as Paul understands, is better by far. But yet he doesn't choose that. He appeals to Caesar. And I'm arguing that it's for the sake of others. You hear it in his words there. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain And I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Continuing on, Acts 25, verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told him that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead... They had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss to how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, "'I would like to hear this man myself.' He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. And I'm going to add, next week you're going to hear him. My brother-in-law, Chris Walker is going to take this story and run with it next week. But a couple uh, noteworthy points. This King Agrippa that's just come on the scene, his great-grandfather is Herod the Great. Okay, tried to kill Jesus. Remember that guy? His dad, Agrippa I, killed James back in Acts 12. Okay, so this is the heritage that this guy has. And now... He's come and met with Festus. So if you're Paul, it's like, well, this doesn't help me any. You guys are kind of together in this whole thing, and nobody's kind of for me. And we're going to hear how Paul responds to to Agrippa next week. But another thing I want to point out, this is the impression that Festus and Agrippa had about this case was they were talking about this dead man named Jesus who Paul said was alive. All of Paul's life, all the journeys, all the sacrifice and trials he's done for Jesus boiled down to them that he's talking about a dead man named Jesus whom Paul said was alive. Just trivializes Jesus and Paul's own walk with Christ and maybe you experience that in your own life from others. But I want to come back and talk a little bit more about this decision that Paul faced. I read the rest of the book And this is what he's going to face. Acts 27, verse 14. 14 days, he and these other travelers are going to be in a storm with hurricane-force winds. Because of that, later on, a couple verses later, they're going to give up all hope of being saved. So he didn't choose death now, so he could go and experience this later. He goes a long time without food. Later on, given the nature of the shipwreck, the soldiers that are with them plan to kill all the prisoners. So if it's not the hurricane that's going to get them, the security guards, those that are supposed to be caring for these prisoners, they're going to shoot them anyways. They're going to kill them anyways. Later on, they finally make sure. Paul convinces them not to kill them. Make sure. Paul gets bitten by a snake. Everybody expects him to die. I mean, it just keeps going, doesn't It just keeps going. And then he's going to face two imprisonments in Rome. In his understanding, he believes death now is better by far. And some of us might not feel that way. We want to be here. We want to experience family life and the joys of this life. But in Paul's mind, he's saying, man, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And he had that opportunity to choose that. But he doesn't. He chooses to have death later. Why? 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 Why would he do that? Make that decision. This is how it turns out in Paul's, in Paul's understanding. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 20. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All these things I've experienced, from Caesarea to Rome, my whole life, all that, and, where, and now I sit in, in chains in Rome, all that has happened to me to really serve, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone, to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I hope that we're, trying, we're, we're getting, a, getting a grasp of what Paul is going through, why he would make a decision not to die now, not to experience the fullness of his relationship with Christ, why he would choose to delay it, to keep this journey of suffering and of trial going. It's for other people. He wants Christ preach. Whether by his life or by his death, he wants Christ to be exalted in his body. There's a decision this morning that you and I now face. We've been given this example by Frodo, and by Paul. And the choice is is similar for us this morning. We can choose a path of comfort, of convenience, one that doesn't push us outside ourselves. Or, like Paul, we can take this path. But I warn you that this path requires sacrifice. This path requires trial. For me, when I get home, I got the choice whether I can just go into my family, enjoy the comfort of my home, or take time to talk with my neighbors. Sometimes we're just shooting, shooting the bull, not talking about a whole lot of anything. Seems inconvenient. But for the for to give them an opportunity, like Paul, give them an opportunity to hear about Christ. When I was when we were singing earlier, I felt I was back there singing, and when we were singing the Majesty song, I was just like, I live with such security in Christ. I don't have to worry about what happens to me if I die. I am blessed with such a security knowing that Christ has, has paid on that cross for me, for my sin. That I have a relationship with God and around me are people in my neighborhood who don't have that security. And just like Jesus had the words of eternal life, I can share those words of eternal life with them. And so for me, the decision I face is one of comfort or convenience, what feels good, or one of sacrifice, putting myself out there for my neighbors so they have the opportunity to hear about God. But I think this begins with passion for God. We're not going to be able to do this on our own. And the question I have for us is, do we love Jesus Christ so much that we'd willingly choose one path over the other? Are we as passionate as Paul was for God, for Christ? Are we making ourselves available to be used by God? Rick Warren puts it this way, our purpose is to ignite a great commission focus fueled by a great commandment passion. Read it again. Our purpose is to ignite a great commission focus fueled by a great commandment passion that we love Jesus Christ so much that we would willingly do anything we can to make disciples, to tell others about Jesus Christ. We need to live as if we're in a far off land, that we're a missionary right here trying to do whatever we can to build relationship with people and share the message of Jesus with them. There's also a decision faced by Hope Community Church. Most churches face a critical point uh, those that, that monitor churches, and they watch the life cycles of different churches. They would share that there's a critical point for each church between eight and 12 years of their existence, between eight and 12 years. We're coming up on 10 years next year, in 2006. So we're right in that critical time frame. Within 8 to 12 years, churches do one of three things. Decline, plateau, or grow. Very few, as they monitor these churches and the life cycles of churches, very few are able to continue to grow continue to expand, to continue to have the passion that they had when they began. For whatever reason, they turn more inward, choosing a way of more comfort and convenience than sacrifice. We're right in that critical time. In the fall, we're planning I'm going to two services. It might not feel packed right now, but during the school year, this place packs out, and we're, we've made the decision to go to two services. That decision, because we have 450 plus that come on a, on a Sunday morning, that, those kind of numbers are beyond the scope of our staff, our overseer team, and our leadership team. We cannot possibly care for and love and bless all those people. We need your help. We need your help. I want to introduce you to Rob Worland if you've never met him. Rob, will you stand back, stand up back there? He's uh, doing the PowerPoint today, and that's just, that's just perfect. Uh, Rob is a blessing because when I met Rob in the fall, we, we went to Perkins and we talked together. Rob was so passionate for God, just loves God so much. And maybe you saw some, some of you saw him get baptized this year. He just loves God. And you know what he said to me? He said, Wherever you need me, Cor, I'll do whatever. I just want to help hope. I want to serve God. I just want to love people. That's the kind of people we need in order to continue to grow and to to fulfill our vision, to honor God by helping as many people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We need people like Rob that are saying, put me anywhere. I'll do whatever it takes to help this thing go forward, to honor God, to have him exalted in my life just like Paul. And Rob is is going to go overseas uh, this summer. He's been helping out with Kids Church. It was just it was just phenomenal. It's just a it's picture perfect. He's back there helping with PowerPoint this morning. I didn't know he's going to be doing that. He's helping design a a, a webpage for Hope on Campus. But it all comes from his passion for God. I think the decision we face as a church during these next couple years will be the difference whether we actually are a church on fire. We spent a long time looking at, at the words of God in Acts, looking at this, wanting to become a church on fire. And will our passion and service to God allow us to actually become? a church on fire. Will you pray with me? God, this this message is hard for me to hear um, because I like comfortable. I like staying in my comfort zone. God, it's harder to strike up a conversation with my neighbor and possibly share about Jesus Christ than it is to go and hang out, spend time with my wife and my two sons. It's so much easier to go spend time with them, God. God, I need your help, and we need your help to, like Paul, choose a path of suffering, of trial, of going beyond ourselves, thinking outside of ourselves, and serving like Jesus did. God, would you help us to do that by your spirit? Would you give us a vision and a passion for God and the courage, God, to actually step out in faith and become a church on fire? All for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.